Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. JJ Jerez here, Arif Dean. The avalanche take care of the Philadelphia Flyers 3-2. to two. We'll get more into that in a second, but first we have a question to pose to all you fantastic listeners that we have out there. Of course, here we are sitting, or what is it, Wednesday morning after the after the Flyers game doing our post-game podcast. Arif and I kind of have this idea, hey, we like the idea of a morning show post-game podcast. So we wanted to pass it off to the listeners and see, what do you guys prefer? Do you want us to keep, uh, you know, last year during the playoffs, we had some strong post-game podcasts. Those came out kind of late, weren't necessarily live. I think Featuring can, Leaf Blower Man. Featuring Leaf Blower Man. I think we could definitely do them live um, either way, post-game or pre-game. But um, we want to know what the listeners want, right? I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, some post-game, some pre-game, some a little bit of everything. So what do the listeners want we play to the crowd here Arif, right we're not we're not a band that comes up on stage and says listen these are the songs we're playing we play the songs that <laughs> smack right the slappers the one that the crowd want the smackers yeah you're showing your age there jj smackers smackers, <laughs> smackers uh, okay. were, uh old kfc sandwich <laughs> so here is definitely showing your age so here here is the big question for us is we want to do these live not necessarily all the time, not necessarily the hour-long episodes, but when we do these post-gamers in the middle of the week on a Friday morning, on a Wednesday morning, um, you know, full transparency. Sometimes we do them post-game after the game. Sometimes it's 11 p.m., it's midnight, and we're just like, hey, let's do it in the morning because we'll sound a little bit better. So, you know, for those that listen to the Sunday episode, instead of doing it on a Sunday night this week, and this was a one-off, we did it Monday at seven in the morning. It is now Wednesday, nine in the morning. Instead of doing a game last night at Ball Arena, exhausted at 11 p.m., we decided to push it to the morning. But now it kind of, we also have this idea of like, hey, maybe listeners, you know, want to start their day off with a live podcast, because that's what we want to do is we want to ultimately eventually go live. Um, Not that we have an issue with going live the first or second time and two people clicking on it, uh, if I had that much of an ego, I wouldn't be on Twitter at all. So that doesn't concern me. It doesn't concern JJ either. But we, you know, it's not the worry of only having two people click on our link live. It's actually trying to genuinely get an idea of from the listeners we have. Would you click on our link? Would you rather click on it at eight or nine in the morning? You know, eight thirty in the morning, or would you rather click on it at eleven p.m. after a game? Or by then, is you know. You'd listen to Riker and Keith and the TV's off and you're off to bed. So we kind of want to put this out there. And I also want to put a test to our listeners. Who's listening? How many of you want to interact with us? Tweet us, tweet at us at run right air at JJ of the year. Uh, DM us. Um, actually don't DM us. It's just easier to tweet us because we'll see it quicker. Uh, just tweet at us. Let us know. Let us know what you think. Let us know what your ideas are. Uh, and we'll, you know, bring to you what you guys want. And uh, at the same time, while you're listening, don't forget to go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Always got to push those out there. We only have about 40-something of them, so shout out to the 40-some people. But we have hundreds, thousands of listeners, and and we want the hundreds and thousands of you to leave that five-star review too. But, you know, start with the tweet. Tweet at us, would you enjoy for these Monday, Wednesday, Friday games, for these Tuesday, Thursday, you know, like this week, Saturday games, would you prefer that next morning? to be a good post-game podcast, bringing you 20 to 25 minutes of the game that you just slept on, woke up, and want to quickly recap. Yeah, uh, you know, more so than the concept of being tired at night. I just love the idea of a morning live show to challenge some of the uh, 
lame ass morning shows that are around the city and you know give give avalanche people some here's more here's the biggest maybe thing. they're not getting the night before here's you know? here's here's the biggest thing for me i'm not a fan of uh and not that i'm putting you on the spot i'm not a fan of bashing other shows so i'm not going to go as far as saying lame but the reality have is, you listened to some of the morning radio shows around i haven't town? i will I, openly call them lame to anybody's ignorance face is bliss ignorance is bliss that's why <laughs> i'm not going to call them lame because i don't know but what i do know having not listened to the shows is the avalanche are not covered enough in this city this is the Stanley Cup championship team. Uh, the Denver Nuggets are a good team, and they're on the up and up, and they're hopefully going to win a championship soon. The Rockies are a mess, and if the Rockies are a mess, what do you call the Broncos? That's a good question. So of those four main sports, the Avalanche are the team of this city. And on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, especially Monday morning, all the radio shows are starting with Broncos. So we want to be that option to say, you know what? It's eight in the morning. It's eight 30 in the morning. I work from home and I, I want to start my day with a podcast. I have to commute to work and I want to start my car ride with a podcast. And I would much rather listen to a live show than a lame ass radio show about the burgundy and blue. than what JJ said, a lame ass radio show talking about Broncos and Rockies and all these other sports that maybe number one, I don't care about, or number two, I don't care as much as I do about the avalanche. And I would much rather hear about a three to two overtime victory over the St. Louis blues on a Monday morning than a uh, game that you were going to lose all along against the Kansas city chiefs, but you made kind of exciting. So that's kind of what we're targeting here is are though those, are there those avalanche fans in the morning that wake up, put on the radio and are waiting, you know, it's kind of like when you watch ESPN, you go through the 25 minutes of, NFL and NBA to kind of be like, God, I hope they give us the 90 seconds to talk about Ovechkin scoring his 800th goal. Where is it? Oh, there it is. Oh, that was great. Okay. And it's done. And we go back to another sport. So if those people are out there, let us know, tweet at us and just hit us up and, and, and let us know if that's something you would enjoy. Well, they're tired of us talking about it and let's get into that hockey podcast that we are uh, p- pimping here so strongly. Right. Um, let me, let me tell you who's tired of hearing your opinions. Who's that? J.T. <laughs> Comfer, because JT Comfer is a regular listener of Hockey Mountain High. And two, three weeks ago, when we had Peter Ball on the on the show, and we talked about players that are struggling, you, understandably so, and uh, you were correct at the time. Mentioned JT Comfer has one goal, seven assists, and is struggling to put up numbers. You need more from him. He said, "I got you, JJ." Three goals, five assists in his last seven games. Yesterday, he took 29 of the 58 faceoffs. The dude took half the faceoffs in the game yesterday, won 16 of them. He's been playing over 23 minutes a game on average since Nathan McKinnon was injured five games ago. JT Comfer said, I'm not taking this flack from Hockey Mountain High anymore. Yeah, it was interesting talking to him after the game last night too, right? I mean, a big game out of him uh, against the Flyers, a goal and an assist. And yeah, just kind of everywhere and and pivotal moments. And, you know, even at the end of the game, he was there taking the draws and even had an icing where he was trying to ice the game and, and score on the empty net. But talking to him after the game, he even said, you know, I don't really look at point production. Of course, that's a yeah. classic hockey player thing to say. But from JT Confer, I think that's 100% spot on. Yeah, it, he doesn't care about point production. I still think he's been playing his role and he's been playing it well. And now with the opportunities that have opened, he has a little bit of a different role. So he's just kind of taking the opportunity and making the most of it. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised once some of the injuries come back, he might regress a little bit back to what we were seeing earlier in the season. But again, that's because of of his role. A lot of defensive zone starts, um, you know, a lot of penalty killing, just a more of a defensive mindset more than uh, having to score goals. But 
yeah, seeing him score and even chip in some assists here in the last couple of weeks, it's it's been awesome to see. And just JT Conference style hockey is what the Avalanche are playing so right now, fun. right? Yeah. I mean, you look at that game last night against the Flyers, and you know it took about halfway through the game for anything really interesting or entertaining to happen, right? And I think that's what happens when you're missing a guy like Nathan McKinnon. That X factor is gone. You're just stuck to playing hard nose, grinded out hockey, and that's what the Avalanche did, right? I mean, they went down one nothing and still ended up winning the game. Blue collar hockey. That's what JT Comfort hockey is. Uh, I have the exact quote here for you. It's in my article on Mile High Sports, my game story. At the beginning of the season, I felt like I was playing good hockey, not really getting bounces. And then he goes on to say, I don't really, I don't really worry too much about points. I think my game is more than that. Faceoffs and defensive side of it is the focus first, and points come when you do it right. Right now he's doing it right. And I honestly, I do agree with him because in the beginning of the season, he wasn't struggling offensively or, you know, causing turn or uh, turning the puck over the other way. And he wasn't, you know, missing out on chances and, you know, passing it up when he should be shooting or whatever. It just felt like he wasn't getting the bounces, but it also felt like early in the season, McKinnon ran and McCard, sometimes Lekkinen and obviously Val for the first seven games were the only guys getting the bounces. So when those guys are getting the bounces, someone else is struggling because not everybody's going to put up a point per game every single game. Uh, and it felt like that was JT earlier, but, Lo and behold, now he's at 16 points in 27 games. 27 is exactly, well, almost exactly one-third of the season. You multiply it by three, you get to 81 games. Let's go ahead and say JT's going to miss a game because nobody on this damn team ever plays 82. So he is at 16 points in one-third of the season. He's on pace for 48. He's never hit 40 before. And I know, like you said, when McKinnon's back, when the Avalanche go out and trade for another center, which is going to be a fun topic on future episodes, because there are some juicy names out there that are becoming more realistic. Uh, when the Avalanche get McKinnon, they get Landeskog, they bring in a centerman like that. You have Evan Rodriguez, who you can play at center on a pinch and you know play on the wing and whatever the hell you want to do with him. Comfort is not going to score as much. He's not going to be put in an opportunity to score as much. But the big thing about JT is he's low-key a very clutch player. Think back to game six against the St. Louis Blues. He scores two goals. And then I think it was game two against the Edmonton Oilers. He scores another two goals. And suddenly this guy went on a stretch where he had like five goals in the matter of four games in the playoffs or something crazy like that. Uh, and I'm pulling up the numbers as we talk about it. Um, but they were all big goals. The St. Louis Blues game in game six, the game that the Avalanche like must must win nobody wanted that series to go to a game seven because then you have the the demons of years past kind of catching up to you this dude put the team on his back the avalanche were trailing by a goal he tied it up they were trailing 2-1 he tied it up and then darren helm gets that final goal with uh six or seven seconds left in game six like just he is a low-key clutch player and even when he doesn't put up the crazy points he does an excellent job of scoring when you need it most. And that's the most important thing about it. And I have it pulled up here. It was game six against the St. Louis Blues. He gets two goals in, by the way, nine minutes and nine seconds of ice time. Game one against the Edmonton Oilers. He gets another two goals. He's got nothing in game two. And then he scores a goal in game three. And that was obviously the first game that Nazem Kadri was hurt. So in the matter of four games, he scored five goals. And those were all five goals he had in the playoffs, but they couldn't have come at a better time. Yeah, I don't think we speak enough on the versatility of him, right? I mean, yep. there, there's a, a lot of times, like I said, it's just about what role he's playing. And yeah, there are occasions where, you know, there he goes stretches without getting any points or maybe any goals, but then an injury happens, he slots into a different role and he shines, right? So he kind of just 
takes the role he's given and plays it well. And I think that's maybe something that we overlook because a lot of times his role isn't necessarily trying to score goals and, and uh, you know, trying to, trying to create and make plays. He's just trying to defend and trying to keep goals out. And that's what the Avalanche pride themselves on, right? I think we can definitely attribute that mindset to what won them the game last night against Philly because it was goaltending, it was strong defense, keeping any real threats away until the offense can kind of gain some momentum create some dangerous chances of their own and finally capitalize. So, um, yeah, I think that's just avalanche hockey right now, create defense first and, um, you know, play the defensive end, right. And those offensive end chances will happen. And again, that's what we saw last night in the three, two win over Philly. Yep. And JT Comfort, by the way, is an unrestricted free agent this summer. And, uh, this is something that when I have Peter ball on, you know, when we have him on for another episode here coming up soon, uh, he will remind me over and over again that, Earlier this season, and this was before he went into a slump, so it wasn't like I was riding the, the the slump of him not scoring. I said that JT Comfort probably won't get a lot of money in the UFA market this summer or this upcoming summer, you know, whether with the Avalanche or with somebody else. And Peter kind of combated that, and I hit him with a look at the middle, the, like the middle players. You know, the the top guys get paid, the Johnny Goudreaux's and Azam Kadri's. You know, he still got paid seven million, which is quite a bit of money, not as much as he maybe wanted, but he still got the big contract. And then you have everybody squeezed at the bottom. Sonny Milano comes to mind. Evan Rodriguez comes to mind. These guys that thought they were going to get the, you know, three million by three year contracts, those middle number contracts, they never got it. They were squeezed to the final moments. And then you have the guys in the middle. And the only two names that come to mind that signed middling contracts this summer were Mason Marchment got four years, four million from the Dallas Stars. And Ilya Mikheyev got four years, four and a half million from the Vancouver Canucks. So I kind of hit him with that. Like, hey, JT Comfer's a middling player. You know, he might get squeezed. He's the kind of guy that you can absolutely give, you know, four and a half million to. But he also could get squeezed. And we kind of went back and forth on it. And then Peter brought up a good point. Teams love those kind of guys that play that type of game. That, here's the kicker, come from championship winning teams and have a championship winning pedigree. And case in point, the two contracts that he mentioned that kind of shut me up, Blake Coleman and Barclay Goudreau, each signing for more than $3.5 million on long-term deals, I think six years each with the New York Rangers and the Calgary Flames. And I'd take JT Confer over both of those guys any day of the week. So JT's in for a pay raise. Enjoy him while you can because who knows if he'll be back. And, you know, I'm not going to make this go sour with negativity that he's going to walk this summer because you never know. But he is that valuable of a player that many teams will covet him because the game that he brought yesterday, the game he's been playing for the last four or five, you know, games without Nathan McKinnon there, and obviously without Nazem Kadri there, without a second line center, Alex Newhook's freaking centering your fourth line with Dryden Hunt and Jacob McDonald. If that's not a message from Jared Bednar, I don't know what is. JT's the only center this team has right now, you know, outside of Miko Renton and shifting to center. And there's a reason why they're relying on him. It's because he's all they got and he can do it. Well, and he's comfortable, right? He's He's been in Jared Bednar's structure since the beginning, and uh, Jared Bednar knows what to expect out of him and knows his strengths and knows his weaknesses and I think knows how to use him perfectly well. The only thing interesting about him is he's so hard to get a read on, right? I consider myself pretty good at reading people, and he's so tough. He, he You can't tell if he hates you. He loves you. Yeah. He, he loves Denver. He hates Denver. So I have no he's idea nice what he's he could nice be. Guy. Yeah, no, he's a nice guy. You just He, he, he doesn't express emotion, right? He no, just he keeps a, a very stern face all the time. So I have no idea what he might be feeling for the summer, but um, I think he's definitely a guy that a lot of Avs fans might consider expendable especially if it's for a better player but once he's gone that's when you realize shoot yep. you miss a guy like that 
Yeah, he's absolutely going to be the type of player that once he's gone, you start to miss him. Uh, and if who he knows leaves. if he leaves, yeah. And and who knows what the Avalanche do to replace him? I know it's a little bit easier, and this is not a crack at him or a knock at him. It's a little bit easier to replace a third line center than a top six forward, or let me say a top six center. A top six winger is really easy to find. Um, it's absolutely easier to do that, but also you got to replace him. If you don't replace him, you end up in a situation like the Avalanche are in right now, where you know what? It is kind of easy for a team to replace a second line center. Oh, look at that. We haven't replaced our second line center. So, you know, things like that can happen pretty quickly and the avalanche don't want to end up in that situation again. But the big thing for JT for me is it is hard to get a read on him, but I'll tell you right now, he absolutely loves it here. He 100% loves it here because JT is the, look at the core, look at the fact that or sorry, not the core, the, the 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 veterans of this team, the guys that have been around since 2016, 17, that poor, horrible season. Remember on the ice when they won the Stanley Cup, how they all got together and we all took a picture of them, those guys? It was Nathan McKinnon, the superstar forward who was drafted first overall. It was Miko Rantanen, one of the best and highest scoring wingers in the NHL. Gabe Landeskog, can't say enough about him. Eric Johnson, former first overall draft pick, was the Avalanche's number one defenseman for nearly a decade. So yeah, maybe he's kind of tailed off in his career now, but he was once that guy. And then there was JT Comfer, never a top line center, never a number one defenseman, not a number one overall draft pick with a high ceiling, not a guy that has ever been considered a top six forward in the NHL and, you know, in Michigan and college hockey, he was, he has always been a depth guy, but he's a big part of that team as a depth guy. He's the, you know, the, the generation of Red Wings that we hated, how much did they value the Kurt Maltby's? and the Chris Drapers and the Darren McCarty's those fuckers in the bottom six that were always there when teams are shifting through and sifting through this bottom six and replacing them with other guys that can play a bottom six role. The Red Wings always had those three guys right there pissing you off. That's what JT Comfer is. He's a middle, he's a middle six bottom six forward. That's so good at his role that despite being him in him being in a position that, and I do this with air quotes, expendable, he is still a part of this team and has been for that long and is considered part of that core and has been around for this long because he's that important to this team. You know how Jared Bednar loves to find players that he coached formerly, whether it was in Lake Erie or, you know, wherever it is, he loves to yeah. get them off the waiver wire via trade. However it is JT Comper is one of those guys. If Jared Bednar were to ever leave Colorado, Bingo. he would look for JT Comper yeah. to, to somehow get up back onto his team. So I, I don't see him leaving. I, I think Jared Bednar loves utilizing him. And, and again, he has so many different ways. I mean, so much versatility to his game that, I mean, I think he's just a very valuable guy here. Yeah, it's wild to really think about it, but like the reality is one day Jared Bednar won't be coaching the Avalanche. It could be in a decade from now. He could go on a 17-year stretch, which is pretty nuts. That's kind of similar to what Lindy Ruff had with the Buffalo Sabres or Barry Trotz with the Nashville Predators. He can go on a crazy-ass 16, 17-year stretch, but in the year 2038, in four, no, that's a little bit too far. In the year 2033, <laughs> in 10 years from now, he would be the type of coach that is coaching a different team that would go out and sign a 37, 38 year old JT Comfort to a one year contract. And then Jared Bednar will sit there and talk about 11, 12 years ago. He was a big part of our Stanley Cup winning team. When Nazem Kadri went down, he came in and he stepped up. Like you can already envision that conversation because, you know, like you said, Jared does love his former guys Columbus, the Matt Calverts, the Ian Coles, the uh, uh, <laughs> Lucas Sedlak. Lucas Sedlak, yeah. It was a little bit of a failure there. 
he oh, always the, the list goes on. I yeah, mean, you the list goes going. on. Chris McFarland came from the Columbus Blue Jackets organization as well. So you know, there's a lot of guys there. JT, that's that's probably the like the the, the best point you've made about him. That's the kind of guy that Jared would you know covet in the future. Hey, thank you. Fist pump. Um, yeah, you, you know the things that Jared Bednar would do to get Zach Wierenski on this team, right? <laughs> that's one guy I know he loves um, from his past. Guy. Um, let's take a second for Superbook Sports, guys. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands. We know that. And now they will match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000. If you're not taking advantage of offers like that, you are just losing your mind. No matter if that bet wins or loses, you will get matched. So you don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy any sports this winter. Visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 a couple other points to get to uh, before we get out of here for the morning era from that philadelphia flyers game we talked about the key pieces um i guess on the last podcast right slowly getting inserted val nichushkin arturi lekanen and boy i feel like without those two guys in the lineup last night there's a good chance the avalanche lose that game what an impact they had on the game of course arturi lekanen's play in the corner to jt confer um for that i think really nice goal that they dug out of the corner just a hard-working style goal and um yeah just a lot of a lot of uh you know val Nichushkin, a lot of positives to come out of arturi lekanen and val Nichushkin. he val Nichushkin had a good game himself too the back checking, the forward checking, they do it all. Their their presence is incredible. There was a play where Val was back checking where I literally pinpointed it. I pointed out to you, like, that's why that guy is so important to the yep. team. Um, you can't say enough about these guys. I know you you missed those two games last week, but the Boston Bruins game, there was no Lekkinen and there was no Val Nachushkin. The top line was Miko Rantanen at center, like it was yesterday with those two, centering Charles Houdon and Alex Newhook. So I'm not just saying that those guys are better than Houdon and Newhook. It's not that they're better than Houdon and Newhook. It's that they're better than Houdon and Newhook and they're valuable ass players. They're such good forwards. And I can't say enough about, you know, the second line center spot is missing and there's some names that the Avalanche could covet and target and, you know, hopefully sign to longer term deals and have a top six locked up. But having Rantanen, Landeskog, Lekkinen, and Nichushkin all locked up to the deals that they have. And obviously now Nathan McKinnon's also locked up. Kale McCarr is locked up. This team set itself up so damn well with those top four wingers. I just said it a second ago. Top, you know, top four wingers are a little bit, top six wingers are a little bit easier to replace. But when you have top six wingers, like who's the, who's the, the, like the, the, the missing link on that, in, in that like group of four, who's the one that is trailing behind the rest. Miko Rantanen's an amazing player. Gabe Landeskog, we know what he can do. Val Nichushkin and Arturi Lekkinen are top-line wingers on any other team. Lekkinen's got 20 points in 24 games. Who on this team in those top six wingers is, is, is a piece that's far below the rest? There isn't one. And it's because of how good those guys are as hardworking, like you said, that JT Comfort-style hockey. They're hard workers, all four of them. But Lekkinen and Nichushkin even more so are hardworking players because these guys don't have the talent of Miko Rantanen or Nathan McKinnon. These guys are guys that had to prove themselves in this NHL. Val Nichushkin was a, was a 10th overall draft pick in 2013, which by the way, 
love that 2013 draft. 2013 was when JT Confer was drafted in the second round. 2013 was when Nathan McKinnon was taken first overall. Uh, it was when Val Nachushkin was taken number 10. And it was when Bo Horvat was taken number nine overall. So we'll talk about him eventually. But going back to Nachushkin, he was a guy that was drafted in the top 10. He was a number 10 overall pick, similar to Miko Renton. And that kind of was highly touted and known to be a top forward. And then he had that little bit of a mix-up with the Dallas Stars where he went back to Russia. He came back from Russia. He signed with Dallas. He has an entire season where he doesn't score a goal. He had to start from scratch. Archery Lekkinen, high-scoring skills forward, not a top 10 overall draft pick. Had to kind of, uh, you know, pave his own path and carve his own way with the Montreal Canadiens. And he did that. And now he's a top-line winger with the Avalanche playing with Miko Renton and Gabe Landeskog or with Nathan McKinnon and, and Miko Renton. And he's so damn good that acquiring him gave Jared Bednar the idea last year when he was fiddling with the lineups to finally split up that top three. And it's because of what Lekkonen brings. These guys are so important to this team, and we saw it in full force in that Flyers game. Lekkonen had a goal and assist. He was great. Nichushkin didn't have a point, was still great. They're ultra important right now. Of course, the injuries are obvious and you need all the help you can get. But we commented before, without Nathan McKinnon, there's a lack of an X factor. There's a lack of a spark offensively, right? The way the Avalanche are doing it right now is hard work. And it's just sticking to the structure, sticking to the game plan, put your head down and do your job. And that's the epitome of both of those guys' game. So they're kind of kind of leading the way of, hey, we got to make sure to play Jared Bednar style hockey right now because we're missing some key offensive weapons. So let's grind it out. I'll show you guys the way. Just do what I do. And uh, yeah, that's that's the invaluable piece, right? I mean, you, you kind of brought it up at the beginning of this conversation on Val Nachushkin. It's the subtle things that you notice that they're doing right. You don't necessarily see an amazing pass from Val Nachushkin cross ice to Miko Rantanen for the one-timer. No, but what you do see is a hard forecheck, Arturi Lekkanen digging that puck out of the corner, finding an open JT Confer in the slot and then the goal happening, right? So just those subtle details that they bring to the game that trickle down the, the lineup and kind of create that example for the rest of the guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the type of game that you want to see them playing. And, you know, like you said, right now they're playing that, you know, muck and grind type of hockey. The beauty of these guys is when Nathan McKinnon's back, when the Avalanche had a Nazem Kadri and hopefully have another second line center, when Kale McCarr and Devon Taves are firing at their full potential, when you have all that offensive depth in, they're going to play as skillful players. They're going to do it with a blue collar type of game because that's what they do, but they're going to continue to be, but they're going to shift and become skillful players. So they can kind of adjust to what you need. You want them centering a, you want them playing with a center like JT Comfort on the third line. When you're fully healthy, they'll play that third line style of game. You want to put the two of them with Nathan McKinnon on the top line. They'll play a Nathan McKinnon style game. They're so valuable because they can do whatever the hell you want them to do. Arturi Lekin and Val Nachushkin sit together um, right next to each other in the locker room. And mm -hmm. last night, the media kind of swarmed around Arturi Lekin and he's answering some great questions. Val Nachushkin just sitting there getting undressed, minding his own business. You know, While we kind of know better. Sitting in front of him in his bubble. I was trying to stay far away. It was so Yeah, weird. he was looking at you like you are in my space right now. But um, one thing I noticed about him, just a fun little uh, quirk and anecdote, he keeps these two pictures of, I don't know if they're saints or um, you know something religious that he keeps right behind his stall, two little cards. He picks them up, kisses them both, puts them away in his little player bag, and heads mm -hmm. to the showers, right? So I just thought that was a, a cool little unique um, superstition of his that he, that he seems to have and just holds yeah. that close to him. So I thought that was it's cool a, and, it's and a fun routine to see. For, it's a routine for him, and you know, we can't – I 
one day Val Natushkin will, and again, I'm not bashing him because I know he probably just is a little anxious to do it. But one day this guy will either write a book, talk to somebody to write a book for him, or, you know, have a big, long interview with a reporter that he trusts and is comfortable with where we can really dig deep into the personality of Val Natusha. Cause you know how much of a man crush I have on this guy as a hockey player. <laughs> there is a lot to learn about him and a lot to uncover. And one day, hopefully he tells his story because he is just such, and I mean this with all due respect, he is such a fucking fascinating human. I just wonder if it's like a safety thing for him or a point production thing. Like what, what, what makes him kiss the, the saints it's you know, likely it, it's likely a safety thing. I mean, so he was, if he gets uh, hurt, does he not kiss kiss the cards? And he's like, it might it might you let safe. me down. Yeah, it might be a safety thing. It might be just something that makes him feel more more safe and more comfortable. I mean, I like you know some of our listeners might be religious. They might have it. I'm not the most religious person, but I also have in our culture we have the evil eye, the blue eye, and I have one hanging on my front door because it makes me feel safe. It's the silliest thing, but it's something I learned from my 65 year old mother from the Middle East. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's, you know, it's probably his version of that. It's something that makes him feel safe. And, you know, he's the kind of guy that bounced around a little bit, is very thankful to have signed that eight-year contract with the Avalanche because he's staying here and he wanted to be here. And, and you know, part of that is the safety and comfort comfortability of where he is. And he wants to take that with him every single day. Winding down, Arif, Pavel Francouz gets back-to-back -back starts and back-to-back uh, -back wins. Your thoughts on Jared Bednar going back to Pavel Francouz and just good to see Frankie keep accumulating wins yeah frankie's four for five on four and five on the season now but i think he started zero and three he had a little bit of a rough stretch to start and you know didn't get the more favorable games to go um but the biggest thing for me with 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 the goalie with the goaltending right now is you have two guys that are capable so when georgie has a little bit of a rough stretch you can go to frankie and there's nothing wrong with georgie and he's going to play a lot of games here uh, no back-to-backs in December, so that's great. They play every other night minus Christmas, so that'll be good for both these goalies. Um, but that's the beauty of having a backup goalie like Pavel Francouz. When you need your backup to step up, he can do it in a pinch, and, and he'll give you two games, three games, four games in a row of good hockey. I mean, we saw we freaking saw it in the playoffs in the most important time of the year, in the third round. So, you know, I'm not too worried about him doing it in December. Yeah, and I don't read too much into the start either, right? It's just yeah. kind of a opportune game for him to play a team like the Flyers and, you know, get, get them a W. Uh, that That's what you mentioned yep. on the last podcast, that the upcoming schedule just isn't really too challenging. So it's just going to take hard work, good good goaltending, and good defense to get wins. So why not give uh, your backup a couple games here and there and and make sure Georgiev is well-rested headed, headed into the new year? Yep, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with that. It's... Uh... Both these guys are going to play in December as the Avalanche kind of uh, work through these injuries, and and I expect nothing less than great hockey from both of them because they're both good goalies. Yep, good start to the homestand. And in a night where we saw so many shutouts last night in the NHL, it was good to see the Avalanche <laughs> not get shut out because their first second kind of looked like that was the uh, it was boring gonna, gonna first be the story. Very boring first thirty minutes of hockey, and then it picked up a lot, and and it was it was fun the rest of the way. You know, even the Flyers in the third period were really pressing, and and Frankie held the fort down. Indeed, indeed. I got two more topics for you. Only one of them hockey related. Alex Ovechkin scoring eight eight his 800th goal last night. One of uh, three that he scored. I'm sure everybody in the NHL world has already heard about it, but <laughs> just uh. I guess fun to see that in our time and our day and age, but I guess my, my what I really wanted to look at is highest scoring avalanche player ever, right? Of course, it's Joe Sackick right now. Does Nathan McKinnon ever get there? 
And uh, does, I guess just throw some shit at the wall here. Do you think what final tally do you think Nathan McKinnon ends his career at goal wise? So I, I usually like to go by franchise. I hate people that separate Avalanche and Nordiques. That's not my kind of jam. Um, I right now, them. So hate on. I, Hate on, hater. I don't. So Joe Sackick's got 625 goals, Mm -hmm. I want to say. Yeah, 625. And like just over 1,300 games. I think it was 1,600 games, to be honest with you. I could be wrong. You are. I looked it up right before the show. Oh, am I wrong? 1378. Oh, okay. 1,641 points in 1,378 games. So yeah, you're right. 625 goals in 1,300 and said, well, yeah, you looked it up before the damn show. I'm trying to go based off of my nerdy memory. So quick maths says that the mathing equals out that Joe Sackick for every 82 games scores 37 goals. And he does that for almost 1400 games. Nathan McKinnon isn't going to quite get there. He's at 250 and 661 games. 250 and 661s, which is an average of 31 goals per season. Obviously, his first three years, uh, first four years, kind of bring his numbers way down because, you know what? He has been pretty good since then. 39 and 74, 41 and 82, 35 and and 69, 20 and 48, 32 and 65, 8 and 23. So outside of that 20 and 48, which is a year where he had 45 assists, he had over a half a goal per game pace of 35 and 69, an exact pace of 41 and 82, over a half a goal per game in 39 and 74. Last year, just missed the mark, 32 and 65, missed it by a goal. And this year, 8 and 23, he's going to bring that number way up. So if Nathan McKinnon can play 10 more years of prime Nathan McKinnon uh, uh, hockey and score an average of 38 goals a year over the next 10 years, that's an extra 380 goals, which would bring him to 630 on his career. So... That's a lot to expect from a player, but you know what? All it takes is one 50 goal season to level out with a 25 goal season. So it is possible that he can get to 600. I think it's a very wildly crazy number for him to get to. Um, if I had to guess, because he does put up a lot of assists, Nathan McKinnon's going to end his career. How old is he? 27. So that's 10 years at 38. Shit, I'm going to say it. He's going to hit 615 goals. He's going to be right right below Joe Sackett. Right below. Why not just go 624? <laughs> Price is right style. Um, but no, I think I think that's good. I, I, especially this year, right? He's been so assist heavy. I'd imagine as his career goes on, those assists come easier to him and the goals kind of start to become more difficult for him. I mean, not right now because he's still in prime shape, but as he gets older, loses some strength, maybe loses some speed and the rest of the league kind of catches up to Nathan McKinnon. He's still going to have that hockey IQ. He's still going to see, you know, have that vision that he has and and be able to make plays. So I'm sure the assists kind of trickle off towards the end of his career versus goals. But no, I like your assessment. That was fun. Um, So yeah, wrapping up World Cup. This might be our last World Cup conversation. no, no. No, as far as in tournament yeah, yeah. conversation because our next uh no our next no. podcast is going to no, no. be later this on, week on we're friday fine. Fine. on friday we'll talk about what is likely going to be a france win and then on sunday after the world cup final we will talk about who won it all i'm so excited for thank this goodness game. i was worried for our listeners that they weren't going to get much more world cup talk because <laughs> i know they're loving it right now you know what fuck it Tweet at us when you're telling us if you like the live shows and that whole spiel in the beginning of the episode. Let us know. How much do you enjoy and do you enjoy the World Cup talk? How many of you are actually keeping track of it? I'm really curious. So tweet at me and let me know. Uh, I'm excited for this game. Morocco and France is going to be a lot of fun. 
Uh, Argentina and Croatia kind of went the way that I think this game might go, where Croatia played such a great defensive style game all the way to the end, and then Argentina just kind of hit him in the jugular. And Morocco, but I kind of like Morocco more than I do Croatia this year, honestly. Um, the way they're playing, the way that they're defending, but it's a really interesting style of game. It's not a boring style of game. It's their fullbacks are way up the field when they're defending. It's, it's a very different style of defense first soccer, uh, but it's working for them. They've only surrendered one goal in this tournament and it was an own goal against Canada, the second team that was eliminated after Qatar. And, um, I just think they're doing so well, but just France's offense is so relentless right now. I expect France to win, but if Morocco wins, I'm pulling for them all the way because that is such a fun story. But I, I really do expect a France-Argentina you know, juggernaut matchup on Sunday. I don't think Morocco has seen a team with the speed of France yet, right? I mean, no. they beat Spain on their way here. They, they beat Portugal. France is a whole different animal. And I, I would say the same thing for Argentina. If it is Argentina-France in the final, I mean, Argentina playing Croatia to, to get to the final, not exactly a fast team at all. And uh, who who'd they play in that first round? Argentina? Yeah. I forget. It was a team that they blew out. The, the round of 16 was very one-sided all the way through. Right, so I don't. I just don't know if they're ready for the pace that uh, France can play with if they so choose to. Right, that France has such an elegant mixture of speed and talent that they can kind of beat you with any style that you give them an opportunity for, and that's what that's what makes soccer so great and so much like hockey. It's about capitalizing on the other team's mistakes, and that's what you saw from Argentina, Croatia. Right, Croatia made maybe two, three mistakes the whole game, and Argentina just capitalized on each and every one of them and made them pay just the the mindset you got to have and that's why i love both hockey and soccer they're so comparable uh real quick they played australia in their first game oh yeah in the netherlands um but joke. yeah the, the yeah the big thing i mean the round of 16 was all very one-sided the big thing right now for me with argentina is i've never seen messi play better international soccer than he is right now but france also beat this team in 2018 they beat him in that first game of the round of 16 i think it was a four to three final it was a wild game I just remember Pavard scoring the sick strike from like way beyond the box. It had to be 30, 40 yards away or whatever. Um, so that'll be a fun rematch if those two end up in the final. If France ends up somehow losing this one, Argentina and Morocco will be a very fascinating final because if Morocco can shut down France, maybe they can do the same to Argentina. But then France and Croatia last last World Cup's final would now be the third place match. So it just, it's going to be interesting all around. I just The one big thing for France... And we'll end with this is England did a good job of exposing France's midfield. That is, you know, finally you can notice that they're missing and, you know, are, are in need of guys like N'Gola Kante and Paul Pogba. They really did hand it to the France's midfield. And that's why France, all they had to, all they did was foul. They were missing so many guys that they had no, no answer for England's attack. So, you know, the attack of Morocco isn't going to scare me as much as Argentina, if I'm France. But that's the one thing to keep an eye on with France is the injuries might catch up to them in terms of that midfield that can play a defensive style like Conte, who who is just a, a bull. He's just the guy doesn't get tired. Um, so that's going to be the big thing to, to look out for there. But here we are. We are two hours and 15 minutes away from this game. I'm, I'm pumped for it. Yeah, I don't see Morocco being able to beat France one nothing like they beat everybody else. So they're going to yeah. have to score more than one goal. We'll see how 100%. that goes for them. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for uh, today's episode. Little little post game action, little morning action. Again, don't forget to let us know your thoughts on how we should move forward with our post 
I, I love the morning. I think we're sharper in the mornings, right? Our thoughts come a little bit more concise and fluidly than they do at night. And uh, make sure, make sure you listen to this one too, because for whatever reason, when you start the music, your voice muffles for four seconds. Great. Can, Thanks a lot. We can, we Thanks a lot, program. We can still understand what you're saying, but it's just funny how that keeps happening. I don't think it's funny at all. <laughs> all right. uh, thanks, everyone, for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Don't forget to check out our sponsors, Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.